have your Bibles or your devices, would you please open to Psalm chapter or Psalm 3 this morning? Tattoo is a basset hound who lives in Tacoma, Washington, and he did not intend to go out for an evening run, but when his owner accidentally locked his leash into the car, into the car door and drove off, Tattoo had no choice. Um, police officer Terry Filbert was sitting on his motorcycle and noticed a passing car that looked like it was dragging something. And as he said later, it was the Basset Hound picking up his feet and putting them down as fast as he could. So Officer Filbert took off, stopped the car, they rescued Tattoo, uh, but not before the dog had reached about 20 miles an hour in, in trying to run down the street. I mention that story because how many of us can relate to Tattoo? There have been those times when we feel like we have been drugged along at a speed that we can't keep up with. The outlook doesn't look good, and we don't know how long this experience is, is going to go. And so what do we do? We just keep trying to put our feet down and in front of ourselves over and, and over again. But what's happening is that there's this emotion inside that's growing, the emotion of being overwhelmed. Now, being overwhelmed is a very powerful and very intense emotion for us. And by the way, it can come from a variety of different sources. Regardless of the specific situation, typically we're in a place where the demand on us exceeds our abilities. So that could happen in a number of ways. It could be that the dark, ominous storm clouds are filling your horizon at work because the growing responsibilities that are being dumped on you are threatening to inundate you. It could be the painful unraveling of a very close relationship. It could be your deteriorating health. It could be a financial shortfall. In those kinds of situations, the feeling of being overwhelmed is driven by the fear that we're going to suffer a significant loss. But feeling overwhelmed can also come from other ways. It can, can come from information overload, where there are just too many voices trying to grab our attention. It can come from the need that I've got to make a critical choice, and this choice is once and it's done, and it's going to set the direction of my life for a really long time. It can also come from too many options to choose from. It's not just door A, B, or C. It's A through double Z. Or then there's also the oh, being overwhelmed because of the threat of opposition. Somehow you find that you've stepped into a war zone and the enemy, very real. So this morning, the question is, what do you do with that very powerful and intense emotion of being overwhelmed? What are the critical choices that we, we, that we need to make when, when we're feeling suffocated? When we're not sure if we can make it through the rest of the day? When we feel paralyzed by all that's on our plate or we're just feeling exhausted and yet there's still more to do? That's why I want us to explore Psalm 3 this morning. 
Because Psalm 3 is a wonderful passage to go when the feeling of being overwhelmed is very real. Now, this psalm has as its creative origin a very specific historical event. You probably know it. The background for this psalm is recorded in 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 18. In a nutshell, what's going on? Well, David has been king of Israel for quite a few decades, and he is at the pinnacle of his rule. Internationally, they are experiencing peace in Israel. Internally, there's a lot of prosperity going on in the nation. And yet, yet behind the scenes, there's devious intrigue that's beginning to develop. David's oldest son, Absalom, is conniving to take the throne from his father. So through manipulation and deceit, that passage in 2 Samuel describes how Absalom managed to pull together a a large base of support. Once that base of support comes together, they head towards the capital to Jerusalem to unseat David as king. Now, to avoid bloodshed, David chooses to flee And so those that are still loyal to him, they all head east out into the Judean desert and down the steep escarpment towards the Jordan River. As David leaves, you can imagine, he is feeling betrayed. He is wondering, what's happened here? Because it appears the whole nation has suddenly turned against him. So Psalm 3 begins by pointing out what pretty much all of us can relate to. Those times when we're feeling overwhelmed because of the odds. Notice how the opening two verses point out how, like David, we can become overwhelmed for a couple of reasons. Here were David's reasons. I'm sure you can relate. First, notice how we can become overwhelmed because of the quantity of the threat. Verse 1, notice the repetition, or verse 1 and 2, notice the repetition of the word many. David writes, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. The odds are against David. The opinion polls do not look good. A quick look at just statistics, it's grim. Because David is finding himself in a minority position. The majority are bent on not just removing him from power, they want to eliminate him. Wow. How easy for us to feel the same way. How how easy for us when we're feeling overwhelmed, we feel like we're in the minority. And by the way, when that happens, that's an extreme test of our faith. Because few of us have the internal spiritual fortitude and nerve to stand all alone. Again, remember the, the, the situation here. This is not standing up to peer pressure This is standing up to very strong opposition. So those against David are not trying to get David to see things their way. They're trying to get David out of the way. 
quantity of the threat can overwhelm us. But there's another reason or another way in which uh, we can feel this intense emotion, and that is we can be overwhelmed because of the quality of the threat. Again, look how the many, each of those are described. First, some of them are foes. Verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? Literally, how many are my enemies? These are people who are on the attack. They are seeking to defeat David. They're seeking to defeat us. Look at the second many. Many are rising up against me. So David notices new people are joining the ranks of the other team. The opposition is growing. The opposition is getting stronger. David is seeing very few people stepping up to support him. It looks like most people in Israel at this time wanted to join Absalom's victory parade. Third many. Here, listen to the description of the skeptics. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And by the way, I personally think this is the group that wounded David the deepest because they're ridiculing him by saying that not even God is on your side any longer. And by, isn't that tough? It's one thing to battle other people, but how do you fight God? Anyone here ever wondered if somehow you've gotten on God's blacklist? I've been there. So in the historical account, 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 30, David leaves Jerusalem and he chooses to leave barefoot and he's weeping. I'm sure he had painful questions. Why are my people doing this? Why is God doing this? He's feeling overwhelmed because of the odds. How many of us have asked those same why questions? When we're overwhelmed, we we feel vulnerable, we feel alone, and we wonder, God, have you even turned away from me as well? And yet, after being incredibly transparent here in these opening verses about this intense emotion moving in his own heart, David has a sudden shift in focus. In the midst of being overwhelmed, because of the odds, he suddenly reminds himself of some key facts, key facts that allow him to find confidence in God. How does David make this transition? There's a book by the name of there's a book written by the author Stan Toller, uh, and this is the title: "God has never failed me, but He sure scared me to death a few times." Didn't that sound like a great book to want to go read? Um, and in that book, Stan tells about a day in his neighborhood where he stopped to watch a little league game that was in progress um, during. Um, when the teams changed sides, um, he asked one of the youngsters who was in the outfield, what's the score? And the little kid said, we're losing 18 to 0. Um, Stan said, well, I must say you don't look very discouraged. And the little boy kind of puzzled, said, discouraged? Why should we be discouraged? We haven't even come up to bat yet. And if you know Little League games, you know how that works. Uh, 
So David realizes that his son Absalom has put together some very elaborate schemes to dethrone him, but David in Psalm 3 realizes God has not even come up to bat yet. We don't use this paraphrase of the Bible much anymore. The Living Bible, some of you probably remember it. I was raised on the Living Bible. Proverbs 19, verse 21 in the Living Bible says, Man proposes, but God disposes. I like that. My dad, in quoting that verse, would often tell me, Rick, the plans are man's, but the odds are God's. If you have a pen, I want you, or a pencil, and you have your Bible with you, underline the very first word of of verse 3, but. In light of the many, in light of the specific opposition that David is facing, which to him could have felt like an avalanche or a wildfire racing into his life or an approaching tornado, David grounds himself in three things that God is able to do. What does David have even us remember that God is able to do? Well, look at verse 3. First, God will be my protection. David writes, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. See, protection is what that metaphor of shield is really trying to communicate. God Himself will protect. God Himself will guard. And like He will be like a literal shield for us where He will stand between us and those incoming weapons and, and take the blows from the incoming arrows, from the firebrands, from the rocks, from the sword thrusts. God says, I will stand there. I'll take it. I'll be your protection. When I was looking this over, I was reminded of what God told Abram in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. By the way, hold your finger here in Psalm 3, but turn back into the New Testament to the words of Jesus in in John chapter 10, talking about God's protection, talking about God as our shield. Here are the words of Jesus in John 10, starting at verse 20. 7, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Isn't that wonderful to know this morning if you're feeling overwhelmed? God is greater than it all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So like David, when we're surrounded by opposition, inundated by demands, we are to be reminded of the fact that our needed protection, our shield, does not come from earthly resources but from God Himself. Second thing that God's able to do, look at the passage, back to Psalm 3. 
He will eliminate or take care of my shame. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Next phrase. But you, O Lord, are my glory. See, that's the idea of God being my glory. These events in David's life that threaten to overwhelm him have left him humiliated. His own son and his most trusted advisor have turned against him. But God, you will be my glory. That word glory, as you know, probably it means to be heavy. So when a person has glory, that means that they've got power, they've got influence, they've got importance. Why is that important to remember? Because when we're overwhelmed, we tend to forget something quite easily. It's easy to forget who we really are. Again, hold your finger here in Romans 3, back into the New Testament for a moment to Romans chapter 8. What do we need to remember when we're feeling overwhelmed by the circumstances uh, that, that are happening in our lives? Paul writes and tells us in Romans 8, starting at verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Who are we? Regardless of our circumstances, who are we in Christ? We are God's children and heirs of all that He has promised us. And what are we going to enjoy? Look at again at the end of Romans 8, 17. We are going to experience one day full and complete glory. God promises. What am I capable of? I'm capable of protecting you. I'm capable of removing your shame, reminding you again of who you are, even in the midst of feeling overwhelmed. Third thing, back to Psalm 3. Oh Lord, you are the lifter of my head. God will provide dignity. He's going to lift my head. Again, when we're feeling overwhelmed, how easy it is to feel rejected. Rejected by man, rejected even by maybe God Himself, at least that's what it feels like. And God promises to those who are feeling bowed down under the many that are against Him to raise up our heads that we might look into His approving smile once again. Stacy Woods, in his book, Some Ways of God, says the following. He says, you know, the trend of government is to undergird us with material securities from the cradle to the grave, providing all kinds of insurances, health, old age, education, unemployment, and so on. And then in addition to all this, he says, we insure ourselves against fire, earthquake, hurricane, accidents. 
And these safeguards are not wrong, but they can very easily become a serious hindrance to our complete trust in God. Undoubtedly, if our debts are paid off and our refrigerators are full and we have money in the bank, we have a tendency to feel secure in ourselves and to sense our need of God less. Stacy says, herein lies the danger. My greatest need is to feel and know my need of God every hour. So here's the key. Here's what Psalm 3, as David writes, what, what it's leading us towards, is that when we are feeling overwhelmed, we are to let that intense emotion drive us into the arms of our loving Heavenly Father. To be reminded of what my God is able to do regardless of how my circumstances look. That He will protect, He will eliminate any shame I'm sensing, and He will provide dignity by lifting up my head. Now look what David does. In response to believing what God is able to do, David now describes what we are able to do. And there's a connection there. What I'm able to do is completely based on what God is capable of. In other words, if God is for me in the midst of overwhelming circumstances, as verse 3 indicates, now the rest of the psalm describes how there are four things I'm going to be able to do even in the midst of this intense emotion. What are they? First, I will be able to sincerely pray. Now, I use that word sincerely very carefully. Look at verse 4. David says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill. I don't know about you, but too often when I am sensing that intense emotion of being overwhelmed, I start frantically running around trying to make plans without having prayed about anything. And yet this is exactly what David immediately does. Based on the, our belief that God is able to protect, to remove our shame, to be the restorer of any lost sense of dignity, then seeking Him comes naturally. Depending upon Him becomes our instinctive first reaction as we get on our knees and cry out, Oh, Lord. By the way, that's why I love Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. I know it says 616, but it's 416. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God invites us to wonderfully come to Him in prayer. And by the way, did you notice here in Psalm 3, the repetition in the psalm of David saying, Oh, Lord, you see it in verse 1, you see it in verse 3, you see it down in verse 7. That title, Oh, Lord, is the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament concept of referring to God as Father. In other words, it's describing intimacy in a relationship, a close relationship like that of a father with a child. So when we pray, 
We are to pray within that intimate relationship, knowing that my God deeply cares about what is going on in our lives. And as David ends verse four, four, he will answer me from his holy hill. That's the first thing we can do is sincerely pray. Second thing that I'm able to do based upon what God's capable of doing, and that is I can experience peace. Look at verse 5, verse 6. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Isn't it pretty obvious that when we're uptight, we don't sleep well? (laughs) But when we're convinced that God will protect us, God will sustain it, God has got all that's overwhelming me, typically it starts to allow us to have a good night of sleep. But it does more than that. It also helps us during the day. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me. I don't have to be afraid. Am I surrounded? Yeah. Am I in the minority? Yeah. Are the odds looking bad? Yeah. But if we are convinced that God is on our side, His peace can begin to replace our fear. Oh, aren't there some wonderful promises about that? Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Or how about Jesus in the New Testament, John chapter 16 and verse 33, where he told his disciples and is telling us, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm able to pray because of what God's capable of doing. I am able to have peace because of what God's capable of doing. Third thing I'm able to do, verse 7, I am able to wait for justice. Notice what David writes, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you Strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Now, David realizes what he's going through is not because he's done something wrong. He knew he was not suffering the consequences of stupid choices. Therefore, he knew he could appeal to God, will you execute justice? By the way, notice that little phrase there at the end of verse 7, break the teeth. That literally means to pull out the fangs of a wild animal. So what's David asking? God, would you please in your justice remove the ability to threaten and to hurt others? So this is not revenge. That's not what David's praying for. David asks that God would act so that justice might win and the wicked would lose. And he's going to wait as he says, Oh, Lord, save me. You strike my enemies. Fourth thing I'm able to do, based upon what God's uh, capable of doing, and by the way, this one might surprise you. Verse 8, I can express grace. Grace. Now, look at how the verse starts. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That drives us back to verse 2. Remember what the skeptics were saying to him up in verse 2? God 
won't deliver you. But what is David's confidence as he has reviewed what God is capable of and therefore what he is able to do? He knows God is going to provide deliverance. He will save. Now, David hasn't seen it yet, but he knows it's going to come. And then look how he ends the psalm. And here's the surprising thing. He ends by saying, and your blessing be on your people. He asks for God's blessing to be on the people. Wait a minute. Who's betrayed David? His own people. Who's trying to remove him from office? His own people. And yet David asks for God's blessing on those who are making him feel overwhelmed. Could you do that? I've mentioned this to you several times before. It's not easy to prepare to preach a sermon because I I came to this point in the psalm and that's what popped into my mind. Rick, could you do that? Don't you hate the convicting work of the Spirit sometimes? Don't you kind of want to say, you know, go away. But God doesn't let us go away. He challenges us from the Scriptures. Could I do this? Could I bless those that are making me feel overwhelmed, intentionally so, at this very moment? And I won't. You won't. Unless we keep this in context of Psalm 3, unless I'm convinced that God is on my team, that He will be my protection, He will take care of any shame issues, He'll take care of of dignity issues and lifting up my head, then then based on what He is capable of doing in those ways, I can dispense grace to those who don't deserve it. In a recent survey by Harvard Business Review, they found out that currently 60 to 90% of all medical office visits are made for stress-related symptoms. 60 to 90%. USA Today also had a recent article about Americans and stress. They discovered that 68% of us sense that we need more fun in our lives. Um, 66% say, I'm feeling stressed most of the time. And get this, in the post-COVID era, 67% of us are saying we're feeling overwhelmed still right now. So what do we do when the odds look bad in our lives? Do you have an effective way of dealing with that intense emotion of feeling overwhelmed? Or is the best strategy that you can come up, come up with is what I call the tattoo strategy. Just keep trying to put your foot down in front of you as fast as you can. But Psalm 3 has led us in a whole different direction this morning, hasn't it? That whether the pressures are coming from work or from your finances or from your non-Christian friends mocking you uh, because you're trying to follow Christ or from your health or like David, you've recently been betrayed by someone who's really close to you. Psalm 3 says we can face this emotion. We don't have to run from it. We don't have to deny that it's there. But rather we can let this emotion drive us into the open arms of our loving Heavenly Father who has promised, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, 
These are old words. I'm not sure who wrote them, but I think they're appropriate. Pressed out of measure and pressed to all length. Pressed so intensely it seems beyond strength. Pressed in body and pressed in the soul. Pressed in the mind till the dark surges roll. Pressed by foes and pressure by friends. Pressure on pressure till life nearly ends. Pressed into knowing no helper but God. Pressed into loving the staff and the rod. Pressed into liberty where nothing clings. Pressed into faith for impossible things. Pressed into tasting the joy of the Lord. Pressed into loving a Christ life outpouring. Pray with me, please. Lord, I I first of all want to pray for my brothers and sisters right here in this room or watching online who are feeling that intense, powerful emotion of being overwhelmed. Father, I pray for them, having been there myself so many times, that, Father, you would come alongside them this very moment, literally right now, in this very place where they are, and be their protection. Be their sustainer when they're sensing shame. Being their sense of dignity to lift up their head to look at you. Father, would you protect them from the temptation to want to go after lesser loves who seem to be offering so much but cannot even begin to compete with the love of you, our Heavenly Father. Father, may this powerful emotion do what Psalm 3 was intended to have us do, and that is drive us into your loving arms. And Father, for those of us who maybe that's not where we are this morning, we've been there before, but we're just not there today. Lord, I pray that you would bookmark Psalm 3 in our hearts, that when we're sensing that emotion emotion growing, we would dive back into the Word to be reminded of what you're capable of and then hang on to the promise of what then we're capable of doing in your strength. Father, we need you. You know our frailties. You know our wanderings. You know our ability to be so inconsistent. And Father, sometimes our emotions get the better of us. But Father, we pray that this morning here with this one of being overwhelmed, we would drive a stake into being reminded of your heart and your heart for us. So be our strength, be our stability when nothing else on earth can can do that for us. And we pray that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.